and welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Laurel Henning, Senior Correspondent at MLEX, coming to you from our offices in Sydney, Australia. Today, we're going to be discussing the media landscape in Australia. And much like a book within a book, there is nothing media outlets enjoy more than reporting on business deals involving media companies. And that's why last month's announcement of a merger between two of Australia's largest media companies, Nine Entertainment and Fairfax Media, prompted wall-to-wall coverage. We're not immune to intricate regulatory discussion here at MLEX, and given the size of the Fairfax 9 deal, there are some interesting questions over how regulators will conduct their review. And what's more, the deal, which promises to set a precedent and completely alter the industry here, comes at a time when the future of the media sector faces close scrutiny from the country's competition authority and its inquiry into the impact of digital platforms like Facebook and Google on Australian media. We've got a lot to discuss, and joining me today on the podcast is MLEX's Australasian managing editor, James Paniki, who has been diligently covering this merger since it was announced and joins me now from our Melbourne offices. Welcome, James. Hello, Laurel. Diligently might be a slight misrepresentation, but yes, here I am. (laughs) Good to speak with you. So before we get started on the regulatory side of things, let's try to set the scene for MLEX listeners who may not be familiar with these companies. What do we need to know? Okay, now both Nine and Fairfax are listed companies on the Australian Securities Exchange. Uh, Fairfax was founded uh, in 1841 by a British immigrant journalist. His name was John Fairfax. The company was called John Fairfax for a a long period of time. Uh, This company owns uh, nationally prominent and slightly highbrow newspapers, including the Financial Review, the Sydney Morning Herald, and Melbourne's The Age, along with uh, many uh, mastheads in regional areas. It has a controlling stake in Domain Group, which is a property listing portal, uh, and also a stake in Macquarie Radio Network, which owns prominent uh, talk radio stations in capital cities. Uh, Nine uh, owns and operates the free-to-air TV networks, including Channel Nine, uh, and a few. It has a few online news websites as well. As well, it co-owns uh, with Fairfax a video streaming service called Stan. Now, uh, Fairfax has been in a precarious position for quite some time. Uh, it used to have a stranglehold on classified advertisements, referred to here as the rivers of gold, uh, but it lost those rivers of gold when the classifieds moved online uh, and the, the company wasn't able to, uh, to harness that, uh, that transition. Uh, Nine uh, is relatively stronger, but it should be said that TV networks in Australia are all facing the loss of audience to online outlets, including uh, streaming companies. All of this is occurring in the context in which media companies across the board uh, are under uh, pressure because they're losing advertising revenue to online platforms. So, I mean, individually, pretty wide covering companies, but nonetheless struggling in this current climate. And this deal is significant because it's the first of its kind under Australia's new media laws, which came into effect late last year. Um, Again, there was a lot of history behind the previous laws, and this deal is therefore kind of seen as something of a cultural game changer. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, well, that's right. The previous laws had been around since the the 1980s. They're most commonly associated with a former Australian treasurer and prime minister by the name of Paul Keating, who famously said that the media owners in Australia could be either queens of screen or princes of print. 
Uh, but they, but they, I know it's crazy, but they couldn't be both. So a newspaper proprietor uh, okay. couldn't own a TV station in any uh, given market in Australia. Now, this was ostensibly done to safeguard media diversity, but uh, it was... I think, and this is what most Australians remember the most, it was really underpinned by Keating's dislike of Kerry Packer, who at the time was the owner of Channel 9, although he later sold his stake in the network, and that's now uh, history in a way. So media companies um, have had recently been arguing that these laws meant that they weren't able to compete against the online platforms. Obviously, in the 1980s, there were no online platforms. Uh, but there was a new reality now. This uh, they, they needed to be able to build up some kind of a critical mass in order to take on this new online threat. And, and this was really about advertising. So a company that included, say, print, radio, TV and online could then go to advertisers and, and say, look, we can offer you a fantastic uh, cross-platform deal. Forget about Facebook. Forget about Google. Give your money to us. So it was really about being attractive to advertisers. So the media law changes went ahead. So the government uh, was obviously convinced by these arguments. The media law changes went ahead. Uh, there was some political horse trading in Canberra, but it all uh, it all came into effect uh, late last year. Uh, and this deal, the, the one that we've seen now between Fairfax and Nine, is the, exactly the kind of deal uh, that these new laws were designed to allow. This is the exact type of media ownership uh, uh, takeover or merger that these new uh, laws uh, were designed to encourage and to foster. Mm. Okay, so we've kind of covered the history there, as it were. Now let's move to the, to the regulatory side of the deal, which is what your reporting has really been focusing on. Um, last Friday, which was the 17th of August, just to give our listeners some some idea for the time of recording, the ACCC launched its review of the merger after waiting a couple of weeks for documents to be filed. The companies involved say they're not that concerned about regulatory approval. This deal is essentially vertical in its nature. There's not a lot of overlap between the two businesses. They're pretty confident. But the thrust of your reporting suggests perhaps they shouldn't be? Yes, well, look, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, I dialed into the announcement um, press conference and, and, and uh, conference that they were holding on the day. Both the manager of Nine and Fairfax were quite um, dismissive in a way of any regulatory risk. They did indeed say that there was minimum overlap. Um, that's because they would argue that the only real overlap is in the company's online presence. So, I mean, as I said before, they both have online news websites. Uh, so they see this indeed as a vertical merger rather than the union between two competitors. But if you go through the market inquiries letter released by the ACCC late last week, uh, the ACCC, sorry, is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which is the um, competition watchdog, uh, you'll see that there is plenty to suggest that the regulator will identify a few areas of concern, and these are areas of concern that go beyond the, the, the clear overlap. It comes down to what criteria will ultimately be used by the regulator. So you'd assume, obviously, that a regulator reviewing a merger of this kind would look at its effect on prices. In this case, I think when we're talking about prices, we're really just talking about the price of a newspaper. But in, in the case of advertisers, obviously, the impact uh, will be on competition. So what would the cost of advertising be when these two media companies become one. 
But the, the market inquiries letter seems to be pointing to other criteria, so beyond these two criteria. Mainly they're looking at quality of news and news diversity. So the ACCC wants to know whether the merger will affect the choice, and this is a direct quote, uh, affect the choice and volume or range of the news and information available to consumers. So the watchdog really wants to know about more than market share. Uh, it also wants to know whether or not the merger will lead to a less vigorous investigation of issues. Uh, so really, it's talking about notions of journalistic quality. It's not just really market share. It's not just facts and figures, but something that transcends uh, those those elements. Mm. And this this suggestion that the ACCC will consider the quality of news services provided as part of their analysis brings us to the New Zealand example and the background that there's the two media companies that tried to merge, one of them being Fairfax's local subsidiary, ran into trouble when the competition regulator started to get into great detail about its concerns over the loss of quality news in, you know, inverted commas, whatever that definition entails. Yes, that, that, that's absolutely right. Now, our subscribers uh, know that we covered that New Zealand case with great, um, with great interest. And it's not just because of the deal itself, which in a way is all, it's all over um, by now, because I don't think they can really go back and, and still make it happen. But it really became an interesting case of a regulatory response to a media merger. Now, the Commerce Commission, which is New Zealand's regulator, reviewed uh, the proposed merger between Fairfax New Zealand and NZME or NZME, uh, which is a local media company. Both owned important newspapers as well as other news outlets. So there was a fair degree of overlap on that front. The Commerce Commission got very specific about concerns that it had over the loss of media diversity and the impact uh, that the merger might have on the quality of news provided to the public. And last year, the Commerce Commission withheld its approval for the merger. So uh, essentially, it it tried to stop the merger. That in turn uh, sparked a courtroom saga that's been going on ever since. Uh, the courts appear to be siding pretty clearly with the Commerce Commission. One lower court ruling, which we reported on, um, even suggested that New Zealand's democracy was at stake. Um, so the, the courts, in, in fact, if you go through the court documentation, they're actually going further in arguing against the merger than the Commerce Commission had initially. Uh, but I mean, there, there too, the companies say that unless they can build up a critical mass, they simply can't survive. So they would argue and have been arguing that, you know, a regulator or a judge might like to have an opinion about newsroom staffing levels, about what constitutes, you know, quality journalism. But unless there's enough money to keep these newsrooms going, there's really no economic model that can support any of this. So nothing that the regulators have to say is really pertinent. What is what what really matters is their ability to survive. Mm. Okay, but just to play devil's advocate a little bit, listeners might say, so what, that's New Zealand, it's a different jurisdiction, yeah, different yeah. regulations. Yeah, uh, granted, but uh, uh, we should also say that the Commerce Commission and the ACCC work very closely with one another. They've got cross appointments, so they sit on each other's decisions, uh, particularly where there are implications for both sides. So there's that very close working relationship to start with. Also, I had a chat to uh, ACCC Chief um, Rod Sims at a function last week, and he told me that, look, he was very much aware of the New Zealand situation, the, the, the Fairfax decision over there. Uh, he assured me that his review of the nine Fairfax deal would go beyond issues of pricing. And he made that point quite clearly. Look, we're looking at much more than pricing. 
so uh, I, I think that is, in a way, the take-home message for the, of the market inquiries letter, that this is something that whether or not they go down the path, the New Zealand path, to that extent remains to be seen. But he made the point very clearly that it wasn't just a, a matter of, of market share and pricing. Mm. And on that, you and I actually wrote a piece of analysis about this together just a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. The reason for that is that we were trying to get a sense of whether the upheaval in the media industry as a result of the new rules um, could perhaps lead to interest from activist shareholders, which of course is my beat. Now, what I found was while activist investors were definitely watching this deal, actually sources of mine were, were dialing into that call just like you were, in general, they aren't planning campaigns in this industry, at least in Australia. Um, the reason for that argument is that where external investors have come in to take large stakes in media companies, individual investors like mining billionaire Gina Reinhart did with Fairfax in 2010, it's usually for political reasons or personal personal gain. So Reinhart had been an outspoken critic of Fairfax's perceived progressive bias was, I think, how, how it was yeah. perceived. And But for an activist to get involved... Um, not in that style um, in a media company, he or she or, or, you know, that fund would need some sort of certainty of being able to turn something around in what is now a notoriously difficult industry and nothing really meets that description. Also, my sources would say nothing's really cheap enough either at the moment. So it's not like being an activist in a railroad company, a sort of really old school um, textbook example, where there's a clear business plan and all you need is just for the company to do the same thing but be better you know, do, do it better. There isn't a clear formula for success anymore in the media. That's right. And there's also uh, there's also another interesting element connected uh, to this. Uh, for the media law revamp to have made its way through the Australian Senate, the government had to deal with a few uh, crossbenchers. So these were independents, minor parties that have uh, the balance of power in the Australian Senate. Uh, they are the ones that asked for the government to call on the ACCC to undertake its review of digital platforms. So that's the impact of these digital platforms on the media industry. Now, we've talked about this before. We've been covering this uh, every step of the way, and it is, without a doubt, a world uh, first. Uh, it's not significant in terms of what change it will directly bring about in the sense that the ACCC doesn't have the powers to bring about change. All they can do is really make recommendations, but it is forcing the platforms to justify their operations in a way that they haven't had to do before. So it's really uh, been a really interesting uh, process, and it's included uh, three public forums so far. I was at the Melbourne ones, which I must say were a bit flat. They weren't particularly well attended. You, however, were at the the Sydney meeting with journalists. You can always rely on journalists to be a bit bolshy about these things. How did how did that go? How did things pan out? Yeah, there was a, there was a really decent turnout and it, for sure a good discussion. Um, and I wrote a piece about this uh, last week. So it was mainly journalists saying that the biggest threats to our industry are increasing instances of content theft, uh, fake news dissemination, and revenue cuts. Um, and the solutions to that are hard to find, but most were united that uh, regulators are living in a fantasy land, and I think that phrase was, was used directly, if they refuse to treat tech companies like media companies, because that's what they've become in terms of how people receive their news, where they get their information from. That's kind of the starting point now for a lot of people is a digital platform. And there was a discussion much like we've mentioned earlier in the podcast over a definition of 
quality news but um, as we've mentioned that's quite a hard thing to define yeah it, it is and um, in, in a way do you really want a regulator to start tackling that particular issue I mean I think in in New Zealand they're using the word quality and diversity interchangeably um, and so what they're saying is that if you have many media outlets that's offering diversity that in turn turns to uh, quality news but of course you know the the six different outlets might be reporting on the same thing or their um, their newsrooms might be so small that they're not able to really add much value to uh, to a press release that comes out so uh, there is that particular uh, issue which um, would lead you to think that you don't necessarily want a regulator to get too prescriptive when it comes to uh, to issues of quality yeah, also the choice of how they've chose, chosen to, to, to use those two things interchangeably, quality and diversity, because I don't think in the age of um, the fake news being the central criticism that diversity is what people are concerned or people are thinking about first and foremost when they think of the word quality journalism. Well, well, that's right. And there's also the the fact that it's interesting in the in the media market. So I I'd, I'd, I'd realise it was under Chatham House rules, so you can't really tell me who said what <laughs> at that meeting. But it's interesting because Fairfax that has an agreement in place with Google to distribute its news has been very cautious in how it's approached the digital platform's inquiry. And so Fairfax, across the board, its submissions have been rather docile compared Mm. to those of of News um, Corp, for example, which has been really militant in attacking the, 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 the platforms. So the question is now, with nine, if this nine uh, Fairfax uh, merger goes ahead, will this agreement remain in place or will they decide to uh, take it in a different direction? I think that is the real question that lies ahead. Mm, all things to keep an eye on. So th- just going back to the event itself, a third point was obviously concerning money. Um, and that's the main issue here is media changes in searching for a new revenue model um, the in- f- for the industry. And speakers at the forum said that performing rights or a public lending rights program to make digital platforms pay for their way or pay their way uh, could be a solution. Yeah. OK, well, good luck, good luck with that. <laughs> I don't anyway, see, back I don't, to the I don't see, deal. Yeah, I, I don't see yeah. the um, I don't see the the digital platforms agreeing to that. But anyway, let's wait and see. So back okay. So back to the Fairfax deal. Where to now? Okay. Well, submissions have to be made first. There'll be an announcement of some sort on November the eighth. That could simply be a request for further documentation. It could be a statement of concerns. But there will be a. Um, uh, uh, there will be an announcement of some kind. We'll obviously follow uh, this all the way, plus subscribers with an interest in the New Zealand Fairfax case might want to check out our case file on this. Uh, and th- there was some very interesting reporting on a hearing, a recent hearing in the New Zealand Court of Appeal. Uh, even though it was just a hearing, there were some very interesting and dramatic interjections uh, from the judges. So there's plenty of entertaining stuff there for uh, for readers and subscribers. James, thanks for joining me today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. James Paniki is MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, and he was talking to us from Melbourne. James's most recent coverage of the Fairfax 9 deal was the article, Nine Fairfax Merger Sees News Quality Take Centre Stage in Australian Regulators Review. And you can read our joint commentary on the merger under Fairfax 9 Deal Leaves Competition Regulator to Map Out Australia's Media Landscape. The link to that article is available from our podcast page. But that's all from the MLEX team in Australia for today. Don't forget to check out other MLEX podcasts at the usual website, mlexmarketinsight.com. Go to the Insight Centre tab and select Podcasts. From Laurel Henning in Sydney and James Paniki in Melbourne, thanks for your company today. See you soon.